Are you gay? Geeky? Just enjoy hearing your good Judy's dish about the latest in pop culture? Well, then you're in luck. The boys of Flame On are here for you. In every episode, we discuss the topics that entrance us. Whether it's comics, TV, movies, drag queens, or video games, we've got you covered. So, if you're ready for your gay and geeky slice of pop culture life, then sit back and get ready to Flame On! Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Star Wars universe is constantly expanding. So how the heck are you going to keep tabs on it without a holocron? And where in the rim can I score the juiciest news and rumors? Ah, you seek State of the Empire, Nerdy Show's Star Wars speculation podcast that looks for news in Alderaan places. We dig into the Sarlacc pit of the internet for the hottest intel in the galaxy far, far away, make Indiana Jones inquiries, and keep watch for the latest on Willow. Head to nerdyshow.com slash Star Wars. It's the show you're looking for. Flame On is presented by the Nerdy Show Network, geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. All Nerdy Show programming is made possible by A Comic Shop, Orlando's number one comic shop and nerd destination. And of course, with the generous support of listeners like you. To learn how you can support this and other fine geeky programming, visit nerdyshow.com. Welcome to Flame On. I am Brian, and this is a very special episode of Flame On. Aww. Our plans, the plans that we had, much like life, they don't go the way you think. So, Eric and I are here. It's just merely delayed. That's true, but it it's, it's, it's whatever. Either way, we're here, and that's what's important. And we're here to start the new year right with movie reviews. Yeah. Because why not? Uh, well, I mean, so, the, Hollywood, or the holidays are always a big time for movie releases. That's true. So. I actually have seen more movies lately than I had in months uh, just because of the holiday schedule. and yeah, People just, have extra time off, yep. so they're like, let's go to the movies. And there have been some very maybe under the radar movies that have come out, at least a couple mm-hmm. uh, sort of-ish. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, if you've never heard Flame On before, if this is your first episode, we are a gay geeky pop culture podcast. We talk mostly about... Movies, TV, books, music, video games, some comics every now and again, and anything else that comes up that we're excited about. So that's what you're in for. We do spoil. We are not like our colleagues over at Pop Culture Happy Hour and uh, try to, you know, be spoiler free because there are just times where you need to spoil things. So uh, we'll try not to go too crazy, uh, but just be wary. Um, Maybe even before a big plot point, we might give a little warning, but don't count on it so if you really want to see the movies we're going to talk about then i would say go watch it and come back but if not you're in for a fun ride so uh i will start 
with a movie that I saw recently that many of our listeners probably are familiar with at least the source material for. Uh, that is The Disaster Artist um, by uh, the Franco Brothers, basically. <laughs> uh, and about the movie or the making of the movie and surrounding events of the, the movie called The Room. And yeah. that's the one you're probably familiar with. You're tearing me apart, Lisa. Well, oh, yeah, all that stuff. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, so, hi, Mark. We're not going to do our own Tommy Wiseau <laughs> impressions here, but <laughs> that's pretty good. Uh, I was very, I'm a very recent uh, fan, if you want to call it that, of The Room. I'm only, I only saw it like a month-ish ago. And a friend of mine at work had been badgering me and badgering me. And so finally, some other friends sort of suggested about it. And I was like, all right, fine, I'll watch it. And um, if you haven't seen The Room, I feel like The Disaster Artist is going to not be nearly as exciting. But just to sum up what The Room is, if you're uninitiated and haven't seen this, it was sort of a vanity project made in the early 2000s in California. And this guy, Tommy Wiseau, is the writer, director, producer, funding source, sex double uh, stand-in. I mean... Uh, yeah, he did a lot. Um, and he did it with his friend, Greg. Uh, and Greg's perspective old is... Old Greg? Not old Greg, oh. sorry. That would be amazing, though. If someone could do that, <laughs> an old Greg room mashup, I would watch the hell out of that. <laughs> so, this is Greg uh, Sestero. I always think of his name because it sounds like Point Estero, which is a place in Fort Lauderdale, or Fort uh, Myers, sorry. Um, so... Greg Sestero wrote a book uh, about his experience with Tommy making the room and sort of his life. And the movie definitely takes that source material and sort of sort of spins it and expands on it in a way, probably a little fictional, that makes this whole movie a buddy kind of bromance. Tragic-ish, but bromance nonetheless, between Tommy and Greg. And both are – Tommy uh, and Greg meet in an acting class, and they're both in um, – I believe they're not in L.A. when they meet. They're in San Francisco, but they're in acting class. And they hit it off, and they're very fascinated with each other. And they kind of you know, talk about film and, and love of you know different actors and acting styles and all this stuff. And Tommy is a very sort of iconoclastic, kind of very out there actor. Uh, and that really stands out to Greg. And Well, he's an alien, so. He's an alien. Yeah. Is that what you think? Well, nobody really knows for sure. So, Greg, oh, Greg, uh, Tommy Wiseau is definitely a caricature of a person. And what I love about Disaster Artist is they definitely play that up. And they also don't try to answer any of these outstanding questions. And um, Tommy has an interesting accent that sounds like he's probably from somewhere in uh, Central Europe, maybe Eastern Europe. Uh, has an interesting sort of complexion definitely looks like he's older than you might he might say and he's seems, seen things been around <laughs> but he also has a lot of money evidently somehow and will not talk about any of these things and it's kind of funny because the movie basically point blank in one scene goes through those three questions like where are you from where's your money where, where do you get your money and um what's the third one i don't know what did mm. i say and either way they, they, they don't answer those questions so that's good. The movie doesn't try to, you know, it keeps some air of mystery about Tommy Wiseau. 
But the room um, is ridiculously awful. And if you've ever seen it um, or you've seen clips from it, uh, you kind of know what you're in for. It's 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 kind of like if a porno, a softcore porn had really bad production values, limited set and uh, actor choices, and was directed by like a, you know, 10th grader. I mean, really just from start to finish, awful. But so awful that it actually sort of transcends that and has become a cult phenomenon at... You know, they do midnight showings for and Do you know if they do any of those around our area? I don't know. I have to look. I I would not be shocked, especially around now with the disaster artists coming out that they do, but I haven't seen it. So um the disaster artist again is a movie about this. James Franco plays Tommy Wizzo. Um a person he clearly reveres in a certain respect, but is also not he doesn't shy away from some of the more difficult things. I mean, the the story is that Tommy was very um, dictatorial and kind of just an asshole, terrible person in making this film, very demanding of his actors, unreasonable. He funded the whole thing, doing so extravagantly that he actually filmed digital, uh, high def and regular uh, definition at the same time, which they had never, they, they just don't do. Like you, you do one, like the high def and down sampler, you do something so it's not. But he did it at the same time, like with almost the same rig, just two cameras kind of mounted next to each other. And it was just ridiculous and unheard of and um, was very like, you know, uh, precious and having his own toilet on set, you know, and, you know, working under extreme conditions and being very demanding of his actors. But from his own acting perspective, when he came time to do his first scene, fell apart, and just couldn't handle it and had to take you know probably hours to get a good shot in was that the rooftop scene it is the rooftop scene yes the notorious oh hi mark scene it touched i did not hit her i did not yes like (laughs) so so this also spawned a youtube journey of my own going off and watching remakes of the room from quote-unquote better filmmakers and um there's been several uh but what this movie also the disaster artist does do it does not do a complete end-to-end remake but it does do several key scenes, and if you stay through the credits, you get to watch some of those side by side, and it's kind of impressive in many places how well they match up. Hopefully, that'll be a bonus feature on the home release. I mean, it's in the credits, so I think it'll just stay in the credits. Well, no, I mean a full oh, remake. no, they asked that question in a press junket, and Frank was like, no, we didn't film the uh-uh. entire movie. It would have been cool, and I think that it sure that came up. But, you know, I mean, this was a, this is sort of a vanity project for uh, Franco as well. I mean, this is something he's obviously very passionate about. His brother is also passionate about. His brother also who plays um, Greg in the movie. Yeah. Um, the movie has tons of cameos, uh, different comedians from all over the place. You'll see pop up and you're like, oh, my God. Uh, uh, probably most notable would be a Seth Rogen who plays the like script supervisor and is then also sort of the stand in director when Wizzo is acting mm-hmm. and he gets to voice sort of the everyman reaction to the room. Like it's always his perspective that you, he voices the, why is he fucking her belly button or, uh, you know, other key sort of realizations about the film. Uh, overall, again, very well balanced between a loving sort of, homage, or, you know, respecting the idea of this and that this guy did this all on his own and all this crap. 
but also sort of showing the warts, you know, everything. So they aren't completely just poking fun no. at the whole process. In fact, the ending is maybe the most like, uh, okay, so he's, the spoiler slightly, I don't know if this is all real events. He, uh, he shows the film finally in a theater, like a premiere, does the whole thing, does it up. Um, it reminded me of my friend Justin's uh, premiere that I went to from one of his short films up in Jersey. Justin's, uh, well, yeah, Eric knows Justin, but I won't call him out by name here. Uh, and it, again, it's one of those things where his, you know, he had the premiere, he had the red carpet, he did it up, you know, it's his movie. I get it. But, you know, Wizzo goes into this thinking he's just made the best thing ever. The audience mostly comprised of people from the cast, but also, you know, friends, family, whoever. They quickly realize this is just dreadful and they, they, they go through the journey of discovery that is watching the room. And but yet by the end, kind of come full circle and like just love how bad it is and, and, and are so enjoy. They enjoy the experience so much that they applaud Tommy at the end of the movie. And so you kind of quickly see Tommy go from utter deject, like terror and, and sadness seeing how his movie is so bad to, oh, wow, I've just unwittingly made this brilliant comedy and kind of brings that whole full circle by the end of the film. In fact, by the end of the showing, he's up on stage thanking everybody and just like loving life because they, they're, they're, you know, chanting his name a bit unrealistic to be sure, but it did put a nice bow on the movie and sort of wraps up that Greg Tommy relationship beat uh, in a positive sort of upbeat way. I guess they still, uh, the actor Greg Sestero and Tommy are still good friends and that work on projects together. So clearly the experience did not ruin him completely, but um, there are many times where you think it will. Um, you got to stay at the end of the credits. So not only do they do the side by side, but the very end of the credits, I don't want to say what it is, but, um, a certain person makes an appearance in the, in the movie, which makes complete sense. And it's pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, I, I liked it. I would, if I had to give it a flame rating, which I know is our thing, I would say I wouldn't give it a five, certainly not a five, maybe not even a four, three seems a little chair, a little too low, maybe three and a half. Um, because it's good. Mm-hmm. I definitely would put the little star next to that rating and say, if you haven't seen the room, your mileage may vary. Um, because it could it could have been a better film, uh, but it's in terms of its context of being a companion piece to the room, um, it's a lot like Ed Wood. If Ed Wood didn't have all the cool stylistic touches that Ed Wood had, and certainly Franco didn't try to make a movie about the room in the style of the room, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Cause that's kind of how Ed Wood is. Ed Wood. Uh, oh my God. My brain's not working. Uh, Tim Burton. Thank you. He set out to make a movie about Ed Wood in a style, in, in the sort of style of that, that period and a style of Ed Wood. Like this movie does some good, like nineties, early two thousands music references. But other than that, it's still just a regular, like, you know, decently made Hollywood movie. So, from that perspective, I would say as a straight up just storytelling about the room with a slight nice little bow at the end, three and a half flames for my uh, my preference. So it certainly deserves some of the nominations it's getting for awards. <laughs> I don't know about that. So if it well, got I, nominated, great. Yeah, I mean for the Golden Globes, I think it's. I would assume that it's in the musical comedy I half so. of the. But I don't even think it's a particularly funny film, really. Well, it's a, it's a, it's a. F- neither was The Martian, and that was a comedy. What? Oh, that's yeah. right. It's so crazy. Long story short, if you're a fan of The Room, go see it. If you're not, maybe go watch The Room first and then come back. Um, but if you do happen to catch it, 
it might maybe even make you want to watch The Room. Who knows? Hmm. All right. So, Eric, you saw a movie. I did see a movie. And what movie did you see? The Greatest Showman. Uh, the new Hugh Jackman, P.T. Barnum musical. And how was that? It was visually appealing. It was... The music was amazing. The choreography was amazing. Visuals were great. The story left a little something to be desired, but I think I went in from all the advertisements thinking, this is the new Moulin Rouge. And this was like um, a PG rated Moulin Rouge in that it just didn't take any risks or felt like edgy at all. It was just very sweet and soft because you have Zac Efron falling in love with Zendaya in the early 1900s, uh-huh. which obviously he comes from a very well-to-do family and gotcha. she is the street urchin and of mixed, color. Yeah, of color, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that kind of, it's, I mean, it's obviously shown that it was not approved of by his family but right. it doesn't do a deep dive into that so this was not Boz Lerman no this was not Boz Lerman which I when I first saw the trailer I thought oh my god this looks like a total Boz Lerman movie oh it certainly did uh, which I think is the point they were going for that Moulin Rouge mm-hmm. and then of course it's a composer uh, the music was the same one who did La La Land yes and Dear Evan Hansen and oh I didn't realize that was his too well it's a, it's a pair it's, oh, okay yeah it's a pair of guys, and they also did something else recently on Broadway in the last couple of years. Um, but yeah, they're the current it uh, musical duo. Um, and yeah, the music's really great. I know the one big song, "This Is Me," Kesha's already done a cover of it, so I think that's going to have a lot of traction going forward. It would make sense that they would do a whole pop album of it. Even just listening to the soundtrack, I picked out a couple. Um, artists that I think would fit certain different songs. It's interesting because it looks like he's not uh, the director is Michael Gracie. Mm-hmm. Well, that's visual effects. He was also the director. Okay. Right? Yeah. So not known for a whole lot. Um, has done other work, but not as a director. Um, written by anyone famous? Oh, Bill Condon. Yeah. Wow. He, he kind of co-did it with Hugh Jackman. I I know Hugh Jackman's not credited. No, but, I was say it looks but like Hugh Jackman. This was definitely his passion project uh, that he pushed for this movie to be made for a and, long. And while. to say what it's about, I mean, it, you kind I mean, of buried yeah. the lead a little bit. Yeah. It's it's uh it's P. the Barnum. story of P. T. Barnum and the formation of the Barnum. I mean, Bailey isn't involved yet, but the circus and. So, and it's funny this came up, and it's kind of like in one of the odd synchronicities because there was a Legends of Tomorrow episode, uh, probably about a month and change ago, that was all about P.T. Barnum and sort of the mm-hmm. beginning of the circus and all that stuff, too. And, like, they did not portray him very well. Uh, Billy I mean, Zane. Uh, historically, he's him. not a very pleasant figure. Yeah, and so this movie, I'm sure, shows him uh, warts and all. Like, uh, no, like it, it, should, does, no? it does not. I mean,. I guess he has a wart in that, but he finds himself in the end and everything's happy and he reconciles with everyone. Nice Hollywood ending. Exactly. So evidently is interesting. John Debney and uh, Joe Trapanese, both uh, composers I'm familiar with. Uh, Debney has done a ton of stuff. 
Um, Trapanese, actually, the most recent thing I know he's done is Tron. Uh, he did that with uh, the Tron Legacy. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff that came out of that, he did a lot of music with Daft Punk. But the songwriting group, uh, uh, Pasek uh, and Paul. Yes. Uh, are the ones who've done, I guess, La La Land and uh, other shows, or Dear Evan Hansen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so great music, okay acting overall. Yeah, the acting is just pretty the story good with, was what, pretty with, yeah, with what they have to do with. Uh, Michelle Williams is good, not great. She plays... Uh... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Uh, Hugh Jackman's wife. Okay. Um, yep. Uh, do, 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 do. Like, do they, other than the fact they don't portray Barnum necessarily very accurately, do they take any other stylistic variations on, like, that period, or do they try to make it look pretty true to the early 1900s? I mean... I mean, you tell that's where they are, but it's it doesn't feel really gritty. Is at it all. heightened, though, kind of like the way Moulin Rouge kind of made? Uh, was it Paris from the what was Moulin Rouge set early in the nineteen twenties? I think okay, yeah. So it, yeah. like that was it was like very over the top, stylized, you know. I uh, somewhere in between that and Gangs of New York, oh, okay. somewhere in the middle right. there. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, overall. You enjoyed the film, but it's, I did. From what I know, when we first talked about this. I mean, you certainly felt like it, it was a little of a letdown. Yeah, in in that it, I didn't really connect emotionally with the uh, main storyline in that uh, P.T. Barnum's life. Uh-huh. I mean, you feel a little bit f- for um, the folks in the sideshow. And- yeah, and I was actually curious how they were going to portray some of those folks because, like. Um, a bearded uh, lady mm-hmm. in that era was just, cons- I mean, just a bearded lady for whatever reason, usually a genetic anomaly, whatever. I didn't know if they were going to take that as an opportunity to sort of explore transsexuality. I mean, I didn't know how they were going to approach no, that. Not, not really. You, you, you kind of see um, they're treated just as freaks. But I mean, was I mean there, the metaphor was strong, though, I'm sure, as far as like, you know, uh, the, the freaks, quote unquote. Uh, are kind of a metaphor maybe for the the outcasts in our society or the people treated a little less well and right the unwashed the unclean exactly you know, so they, yeah. they, they they pull that card of course yes. yeah um, um, there there's definitely lots of protests about the whole show in general right and, um and i feel for uh the opera singer who's brought in when pt barnum tries to do a legitimate act 
And so he sponsors this opera singer from Sweden to come over and perform across the U.S. And it's a whole will they, won't they affair oh, yeah. type storyline. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because she's a real, I mean, her in history, yes, he did this. He brought an opera singer over. Right. And um, unfortunately, her voice is dubbed. It's not the actress's voice. Eh, but That happens. But the song they it, gave her isn't an opera piece, uh-huh. which is a little interesting, um, but makes sense in the whole theme of the show. Well, I mean, they didn't yeah. break out into modern songs. Not no, like no, the, right. the music. I mean, I know yeah, the music yeah, is not it's, it's true all to the original period. music. Yeah, and it's and not it's, true to period. Right, but it's so. also not like Moulin Rouge where they're 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 borrowing liberally from the established canon of music. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, pop culture. Yeah. yeah, but it was interesting that they chose to do another P.T. Barnum slash circus early turn of the century movie and not use it existing material because i can think of two actual musical stage musicals with this whole subject there's a musical called barnum which is the story of barnum circus and then sideshow which is just about a bunch of sideshow freaks interesting um so it's just interesting that if you jackman wanted to push a pt barnum musical or circus themed musical he didn't just adapt one of those two existing pieces well a lot of times that's a thing where you you may not get you don't get the rights and if the project was one of these where they're like oh we really want these hot new songwriters to do something and that way we can market it that way i mean even if you had the rights you don't have to you know stick with that so yeah so that's interesting i didn't realize those two musicals existed mm-hmm. um, um they're older sideshow did just have a revival two years ago i think um but yeah sideshow is the one i know better than Barnum. I just know it exists. I don't really know the And you music. would say at least Sideshow did a better job of sort of capturing that era than this movie? Um, it's definitely a lot grittier. It's, it tells the story of two Siamese twin sisters. Oh. Um, and okay. they're the focus. And yeah, so yeah, it's a little different. But. Yeah. Um, and doesn't have a happy Hollywood ending. Well, so I would um, say most of those stories probably did not in yeah. that era. So um, how many flames uh, would you give this? Movie? I would give it three, just kind of in the middle. Yeah. Um, yeah, Hugh Jackman's good, decent, about the same as he was as in Les Mis. Yeah, I mean he wasn't one of the bad parts of Les Mis. So well, from what I remember, but doing like Russell Crowe's singing voice in oh. that movie. <laughs> so then we do have a third movie which Brian saw. I did. I saw Shape of Water or The Shape of Water. Um, so we just had two biopics. Is this a biopic? I mean, it's a <laughs> biopic if you think that Abe Sapien in Hellboy, uh, a movie also directed by uh, the director of this movie, uh, Guillermo del Toro, uh, you know, at least the second, he did the first and second one, um, is a biopic, but otherwise, no. Um, so yeah, uh, this was a very exciting Guillermo del Toro experience and if you've ever seen any of his movies hellboy one and two um pan's labyrinth crimson horror more recently uh oh god what's the one for chronos chronos is one of the ones i need definitely to see i have actually a couple holes in my guillermo movie experience one of my favorites that he's done is um the devil's backbone uh which is the first one i saw of his um very, very understated compared to all of his other films, which tend to be very visually lush and rich and just he, – he's a beautiful 
storyteller, beautiful uh, uh, visionary director. And, you know, you may not connect with a movie he does. Like, there's certainly people who I've, who I know who've seen Pan's Labyrinth and thought the whole thing was awful and left the theater cursing the day that it was created. And uh, those of us who were with him that liked the movie, in fact, liked it a lot, were kind of like, okay, well, thanks for, thanks for that. Um, but no, it's, 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 he's, he's something to look at. He's definitely not what I would consider middle of the road, mediocre, boring. Um, in fact, the choice of this movie, which is also a, a movie he wrote, kind of Tommy Wiseau-ish at least in the sense that he wrote and directed this. Uh, it is about, uh, a love story, sort of untraditional love story between a fish god and a mute uh, sort of janitor, a uh, cleaning lady. Hmm. So she's just mute, term. right? She's not deaf? She is just mute. Um, in fact, one of the visual elements that's kind of interesting and you might think is a little heavy-handed is uh, her um, – I think she was an orphan. Yes, her last name's Esposito. I did not know this. I guess people with the last name Esposito, it was at least common at some point for them to be, be orphans. Not heard that. and I Interesting. Yeah. You know, that was that's an interesting like anyway. Not, not obviously the name has gone on and a lot of people have it who aren't orphans. But um, she had as a child been uh, attacked and like she had what looked like kind of claw marks or scratches on her throat um, that looked kind of like gills in some way. So you know that's a smoking gun uh, or at least some kind of a visual metaphor for something. Um, that uh, actress that played her. Uh, was really quite amazing. Sally Hawkins. Uh, I have heard of her f- several times and honestly don't think I've seen anything else she's done. Um, but I really enjoyed her performance. Um, was there any other uh, big name actors in this? I know the guy who was the fish guy was Abe Sapien in Hellboy, it, it, right? Doug Jones did play uh, the titular, oh, not titular, the, the, the fish god. I mean, they don't, they don't give him a name. The creature, Michael Shannon, who played uh, Emperor Zod, uh, General Zod <laughs> in The Man of Steel, a very Was good he the actor. Bad guy in this, yes. Uh, so, oh, and then a couple more. But let me just real, real quick just run through these. Uh, Richard Jenkins, who you've definitely seen, he's a very well-known actor, kind of character actor. But this is probably his best role. And if anyone, if anyone, I think from this movie deserves an Oscar besides the director. Uh, Del Toro, I would say Richard Jenkins deserves uh, uh, an Academy Award nomination at the very least for this role. Um, he plays sort of a, a middle-aged to, to late middle-aged um, artist, visual artist, uh, painter. And he, he the movie is set in like the 50s, late 50s, where uh, sort of madmanish uh, marketing is changing from the painted visual, like, you know, drawn ad to a photographic ad and he's sort of a dinosaur in that industry and he is very good friends with sally uh hawkins character eliza uh, they i think are in the same apartment building above a theater uh the orpheum which was kind of cool uh anyway and it's set in baltimore and so it's got a lovely like lush dark neon lit palette and uh that era is fascinating visually and having like Richard Jenkins play this amazing character uh, who also is very, very, very heavily suggested as gay. Like, I mean, they don't really hide that. It's not called that maybe 
but it's it's pretty damn clear. Um, so great role for him. And then is that actually a plot point though yes, in the movie? Yes. Oh, oh yeah. And then Octavia Spencer also uh, shows up. She was fabulous in Hidden Figures. She make pie. She did not make pie. <laughs> Um, from the help obviously yeah exactly um and michael stute i can never say his name oh stalberg michael star stalberg is another key role um and he plays this sort of scientist character who you basically figure out uh has a, a healthy healthy interest in this fish character uh who is captured by michael shan's character and kept in this research facility where uh the janitor crew uh sort of find him and kind of take an interest in him and where Eliza and, and him meet and then fall in love. And then she helps him escape and all this stuff. Um, so I mean, that's the plot. It's, it's, it's Glenn Weldon on, on again, pop culture happier, like kind of did this little review where, I mean, he liked it, but then kept kind of going, well, this doesn't make sense. It's a fable. So there you go. It's a fable. The whole movie predicates on the fact that it is sort of a fable. It is sort of a classic sort of uh, archetypal love story. You know it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Maybe not the way you thought it, but still broad strokes are going to happen. And if there are any inconsistencies or things that don't make sense or maybe ridiculous caricatures of like Michael Shannon, um, it, it'll all be okay. He's never a been a ridiculous character. Uh, yeah. Well, I will say that he he is. Uh, it's a good. He's like a great actor. Like I like his stuff. He was just in um, At Home with Amy Sedaris playing. Not quite the same role, but very stern and sort of serious and sort of scary uh, sort of person. So, I mean, like, it, he does that well, you know. Um, but long story short, this movie's brilliant. Music by um, Desplat. Um, I think it's Andre Desplat. Dennis Desplat. Um, not uh, Del Toro's normal composer. He usually uses, um, uh, I think it's Beltrami. Marco Beltrami. But anyway, for, the, for whatever reason, and maybe this is, he's done this even more recently... Uh, oh, on, on, I think it's Andre Desplat. Beautiful score. Looks like some whistling in there. Some nice, like, French sort of accordion sound. French-Italian. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of, like, really nice musical ideas that sort of make the fable tone really set in. And um, it's just a beautiful movie. It really is something I, I'm i glad I saw in the theater. Um it's weird because it was a limited release, but they're going wide. So I was kind of surprised it was in our local art house. It was at the Enzian. Mm-hmm. But I was like, all right, well, cool. I can see it here. I like. I haven't been to Enzian forever. But then like, it opened wide like the next week. And it's not like – it's got big studio support. It's got big name actors, big name director. Um, the thing that I think most people will probably be a little hung up on, even though it is fable, is there is a love story between a man – a fish man or a fish – person and and a, and a woman and the movie does not shy away from that <laughs> the movie makes it very clear early on that eliza is sexual and that uh the fish person also is sexual and uh it's it's uh you know it's it's for some people it will probably be the thing they're like no i can't do this i can't do this but they're making a mermaid <laughs> exactly but it, they, they, it's not gratuitous they don't they don't get crude with it um there's some very brutal, brutal scenes too, uh, where the fish, fish guy, fish person sort of lashes out, you know, sort of like a primal instinct thing, which is also kind of horrifying. Um, I'm trying not to spoil one thing, which kind of traumatized me a little bit, but, uh, but you know, overall just 
brilliant film, gorgeous. Uh, if you like that kind of thing, I think the closest I've compared this to, if you saw uh, Jeannot's City of Lost Children, or actually any of his early stuff, um, it's got that same sensibility to it. Very dark kind of palette, muted color, some neon because of the era, but uh, also sort of heightened reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and City of Lost Children is one of my favorite films, so I was very happy that this movie kind of captured that vibe. Um, also set in like a, a very like ship uh, seaport kind of area, which this movie is in Baltimore. Even if it's mythical Baltimore, it does um, involve the sea a bit. So yeah, I loved it. It was great. I'm sure I'm missing out on a lot of cool little things, but uh, overall, I would give this at least a four. I can't see. I'm not consistent with my past ratings. Right. I think I gave Last Jedi a four, like a solid four. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I got to give the movie like a four point five. But maybe a 4.25. Like, it's definitely not, like, the perfect movie, which to me is a 5. Right. It's better than a 4, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I would, especially if you're a fan of his movies. This movie is also, uh, a lot of his movies are Spanish language or has subtitles mm-hmm. on it. This movie is as American as it gets. I think there's some Russian subtitles because there's some, as a Russian spy sub uh, storyline. But, uh, but, no, overall, you know, easy, easy to, easy to watch. You know, if you're a little squeamish, there might be some difficult moments. <laughs> if you don't like the fish dick, uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I like that. I do kind of wonder, and I, I'd love to hear an interview with him about this, because he worked on some uh, Lovecraft sort of stuff, uh, some projects that never got never made. And I wonder if there's some Lovecraft influence in here somewhere, in a good way, not in like the creepy, racist, awful way uh, of some of the Lovecraft Cthulhu stuff, but like the fish people, fish god, I mean... The, the murky 50s era, black or not black and white, but that whole thing. That's all very, like, I feel like Lovecraft. So, uh, even though Lovecraft was before that, I don't know. Um, it'd be interesting to find out that, like, he, there was some subtle influence there. Or if, like we thought, he is, this is Abe Sapien's love story uh, origin, secret yeah. origin. Um, anyway, so that's the movies we, we uh, have seen, and that's our kind of thoughts on it. Uh, Eric, you're going to see Shape of Water at some point. I yeah, I, yeah, I will. And hopefully I'll see The Room and then subsequently The Disaster Artist. So if you did not enjoy these films as much as we did, or if you have even stronger enjoyment and you want to share those opinions with us, you can certainly do that at flameonshow.com. There are all our social media links at the bottom. And uh, our biggest, most active community seems to be on Facebook, uh, which is Flame on Show on Facebook. But if you want to tweet at us, Flame On Podcast is our Twitter and other social media comments and things. Certainly on SoundCloud, uh, if you want to leave a comment or post a review, the reviews are what we really love seeing. Um, I don't know how much free time you have. Most people don't. So if you give us a few stars or if you give us a nice little review on a service like iTunes or Google Play or wherever uh, or SoundCloud, we really do appreciate that. It helps a lot. Um, And of course, if you just tell a friend about our show, that always uh, gets us uh, quite a lot of uh, goodwill and fellowship. The other big thing is, of course, we are funded by the listeners. We don't do an NPR model, but we do have a Patreon through Nerdy Show, uh, Nerdy Show dot, or Patreon.com slash Nerdy Show. And there is a decent uh, money uh, cost to running this show and running the network. And so any dollars you donate to that as a monthly pa- patron uh, go a long way. If you give us uh, either, if you're a patron already, and you give us a shout out, or 
you are a new Patreon subscriber because of us, uh, just let Nerdy Show know. And we are doing a thing where in the very near future, we'll start giving out drag names to all of our favorite listeners who are patrons. Uh, and you will get a drag name and you will get a first song to perform. Now, you don't have to do this. I hope somebody does because that would make my day. But if you don't, like some of our listeners who've already been like, I don't want that. That's cool. Uh, you don't have to get it, but we're going to do it anyway for those of you who do join. And uh, you can do whatever you want with it at that point. Um, but yeah, that's all we have this week. We're, we'll be back in the very near future, about uh, two weeks from now, with another exciting episode. Um, we got some exciting things coming, revolving around Drag Race that will be very exciting. Uh, and our full cast will be back very soon with even more pop culture fabulousness. Uh, so that's all I think we have. And uh, keep on listening. Yep. Bye, everybody. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.